This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Well, we are working our way through the Gospel of John, and uh, we are in John 10 today. Uh, Last week, Jeff just did a great job uh, teaching from John chapter 9, and this passage really connects with that passage. This, uh, the Bible's always connected, but here you can really see the context of how John 9 and 10 fit together. Here's what John 9 was about, which was covered last week. John 9 is about a blind guy. He's blind from birth. He's a beggar. And uh, Jesus comes up to him on the Sabbath day, and he heals him. He spits in the mud, he makes, or spits in the dirt, makes some mud, puts it in his eyes, uh, tells him to wash his eyes out, and he's, he's healed. But the Pharisees are troubled by this because he does this on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. And they view him as working. He's doing a work of healing. He's also working by making clay, they would say, or mud technically is work. And uh, so they, uh, rather than caring for this man, uh, they put this man under interrogation and ultimately cast him out of the synagogue. So the religious leaders of the day are entrapped with this narrow thinking, this legalistic, you know, these very hair-splitting rules, and they miss what what God is doing in caring for a man and restoring, really restoring his whole life and giving him sight. After this, Jesus then reveals himself to him so that the man sees that he's Jesus and worships him. So the real thing that happens is not only does he have physical sight, but he has spiritual sight. And the point that Jesus makes is this, that the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, are spiritually blind while this man has received both his sight physically and spiritually. The Pharisees are the religious leaders. The Pharisees are, you could say, the shepherds of God's people. And yet they have been poor shepherds. And so Jesus is now going to reveal that he is the good shepherd, an altogether different type of shepherd, that he relates to people totally differently. And he, sh- he tells them this immediately following the account of the argument with them over the healing of the blind man. Chapter 10, verse 1, this is what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, 
sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. God, we pray that you would do the work that you describe in this passage. Lord, we pray that you would shepherd us today. We pray anyone here that may not know you would hear your voice calling them by name for the first time and that they would join your flock, your people. And we pray for those who do know you already, that you would shepherd us, that you would feed us today from your word, that you would guide and direct us, that you would care for us today, and that you would lead us to pastor. God, we need you. Lord, we pray that for those of us who don't even realize how much we need you, that we would see how wonderful you are and your care for us, and we would return. So, Lord, do a work here of shepherding your people through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this passage, Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, there's really kind of three sections here that we might look at. He, first of all, uh, reveals the good shepherd's nature. What kind of shepherd is he? He secondly reveals the good shepherd's care. How does he care for his sheep? And lastly, he talks about the good shepherd's sacrifice. How does he sacrifice himself for the sheep? So I just kind of walk through this, uh, this passage pretty much verse by verse and then bring a conclusion of application to us today. First of all, the good shepherd's nature. Now, he starts with some imagery that's not familiar to us because he is talking about sheep. He's talking about a sheep fold and he's talking about a door or a gate to the sheepfold. So these are like concepts that probably aren't too familiar to most, if not all of us, um, because these are pictures that Jesus takes from an, an agrarian society. The people that he spoke to understood perfectly what he meant. But let me take a few minutes to explain what's going on here so that we can get the picture that he's drawing. First of all, let's look at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So he talks about, first of all, a sheepfold. A sheepfold is the same thing as a sheep pen. Um, and it is a it is a barrier an enclosed barrier that, that uh, 
protects sheep, that encloses them. So it might be built of a wall. It could be even sometimes a stone wall that would be large and circular in nature with a door opening at one part of the, uh, of the pen. They were often built near a house or group of houses. There would be this outside area that would be a large pen where sheep could be herded at night so that they're protected, so that they stay all in one place. The shepherd would bring his sheep into the pen at night. Now, sometimes there would be more than one flock of sheep that were kept together. So several shepherds would keep their um, sheep at the same place. Different sheep belonging to different shepherds, but they would be in the sheepfold, in the sheep pen, and If it was an overnight deal, which would be typical, and there's multiple sheep there from multiple owners, oftentimes they would hire what we might think of as like a security guard um, or a gatekeeper, someone that would stay there to protect the sheep from theft. That's one thing, because he says that there are uh, uh, thieves and robbers that climb in another way. They don't go through the door, but they climb in to get the sheep, and uh, that that ultimately they would be protected. Verse 3 says, To him the gatekeeper opens. So when the shepherd comes, the gatekeeper opens it up and lets him get his sheep. He's saying that the real shepherd is allowed to be with his own sheep. He owns the sheep. They're protected by the gatekeeper. And there are other people that don't own the sheep but might want to get at the sheep, might want to take the sheep, and those are thieves. They climb in the walls. They climb in over the sheep pen walls rather than coming through the door. The gatekeeper, the security guard, is not going to let a thief in, but only the shepherd in. So that's what he is describing in this situation. He then says, verse 4, The sheep, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, second part of verse 3. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So what's going on here with the sheep, the shepherd's voice, and the sheep hearing them and being called by name? Well... In the morning, when the shepherds would come after their overnight stay in the sheepfold and lead the sheep out, the shepherd would come in and call the sheep by name. It would be common that they would have a nickname for their sheep or a certain call that they might make that would be distinguishable so that the sheep would then follow their own shepherd. So if shepherd A comes in and there's three flocks there and he calls out in his call or whatever, the shepherd, uh, the A sheep would know to come with him and not the B sheep and the C sheep, which belong to other shepherds. So he says he comes in, the gatekeeper lets him in, he speaks to the sheep, the sheep follow him, he leads them out and they follow him because they know his voice. They want nothing to do with strangers. They want to follow the shepherd that cares for them and owns them. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, they understood the analogy at the surface level. They understand the sheep pen, the shepherd calling, the sheep following. They get all that. They don't know what he's really talking about. And when he says they don't know, he's probably talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the previous chapter that have not cared for the blind man, uh, but rather have cast him out. They don't know what he's talking about. Well, what is he talking about? In the Old Testament, the people of God are referred to as sheep, and God is referred to as a shepherd. 
And God speaks to his sheep. God speaks to people in the Old Testament. He gives them the law. So he speaks to his people through the law. And then he sends prophets, which reinforce that. So when people disobey the law, prophets come and they, they speak to the sheep and they tell them how to align their lives with God's law. But now something totally different is happening. It's not the law and the prophets. It's God himself who has shown up. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he is there and he is now speaking the very word of God. He is God. He's speaking the word of God to sheep. And what he's saying is real sheep, real followers of God, people who really have a heart for God, want to know God, who are following God, they will detect in the voice of Jesus the voice of God. And they will follow him. They will follow Jesus as he leads them. But others won't hear it. They won't respond like the Pharisees. They're not good shepherds. They're rather the kind that want to do harm to the sheep, that want to take the sheep, that want to make the sheep their own. So they don't come in through the door. They don't speak as God. And so the people genuinely follow them because they represent God. Rather, they're sneaking over the walls at night, going different ways to try to get God's people to follow them. But they don't own God's people. Those who really are God's people will hear God when he shows up and they will hear his voice through Jesus and they will follow him. Jesus is personally speaking to his sheep. He is calling them by name. So that's what's going on here. Do you see what this says about Jesus's relationship with his people? Do you see that? He calls us by name. This implies a very personal connection. This is not distant, detached, uninterested. This is Jesus naming, calling us by name with his distinct voice so that there is a real bond. He speaks to people. And now we have his words. He's speaking right here. What we're reading this morning, that's Jesus speaking. That's the words of the shepherd. They heard it live. We're hearing it recorded, but it's still the very word of God. And so he speaks to us, he calls us by name, there's a, there's a bond, there's to be a bond between the people of God and Jesus. There is to be a bond between an individual sheep. A lot of the Bible talks about the people of God corporately, and we emphasize that because that's what the Bible talks a lot about, the church, the people of God as a group growing in God. But here's a passage which has the group in mind, but also has the individual in mind. Because he says he calls them by name. See, the Pharisees relate really differently. They give layers of practices that are to be honored and obeyed that you can relate properly with God if you, in essence, jump through their hoops, if you obey the external commands, many of which they have created, which are not in the Scripture, if you do all of these things by your lifestyle then you relate with God. But Jesus says he comes with his voice and he speaks and his people follow him. Listen to what the commentator Kostenberger said about this. He's the guy who wrote the, if you have the ESV study Bible, he wrote the study notes for John. But he also wrote a commentary and this is what he said about this passage. The intimacy of a shepherd and his flock provides a beautiful illustration of the trust, familiarity, and bond existing between Jesus and his followers. Between Jesus and his followers, it's a beautiful illustration of trust, 
familiarity and bond that exists between Jesus and us. I wonder this morning if that's your perception of the Christian life. Do you see the Christian life and yourself in particular as a sheep relating to the good shepherd who personally relates to you, personally speaks to you, personally calls you through his word, which we have here today, his scripture, personally calls you out and leads you? Or do you think of the Christian life as a list of rules to be followed? Do you think of the Christian life as a grouping of standards to be upheld? Do you think of the Christian life as primarily a lifestyle that is characterized by avoiding worldly practices? If those are the places you go in your mind first when you think about the Christian life, then your understanding of the Christian life is not Jesus' understanding. Here's what he says the Christian life is about. He says it's about following the shepherd. He says it's about following Jesus. Jesus speaks his word. He calls us by name. And then we follow him. And he leads us and cares for us and directs us. Does he have standards and things for us to do? Absolutely. But they're not separate from personal connection with the Savior. It's not as if it's this objective list of rules, which almost seem random at some times when you consider some of the things the Pharisees taught. It's not just this kind of objective list of rules that we seek to conform ourselves to a certain lifestyle that makes us a Christian. It is a personal connection with God himself who calls us through the word and says, follow me. And he not only says, follow him by following his life, by living like him, but he gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, which conforms us to his image. So he not only says, follow me, but he gives us the power to do that. He shows us how to do that. It's personal. Jesus is with us. He is helping us. He is protecting us. He is feeding us. He is guiding us. He's not just tossing down a page of rules and say, hope this all works out for you and it doesn't look too good. You know, you're doing terrible. Do more, 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 more. This is not, this is Jesus personally calling, caring, shaping, conforming, correcting, disciplining, loving, encouraging, helping, walking with us. That's what a shepherd does with the sheep. Hear his voice and walk with him. It's personal. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He's going to talk about that in a few chapters. But Jesus gives us his very presence to live inside of us so that we hear him and walk with him. And he cares for us. It's possible to have a really, really shallow view, not even shallow, an incorrect view of what it means to walk as a Christian if we just start with, here's the things I must do and say and look like and avoid, as opposed to, this is the God who I'm privileged to follow, who's personally leading me and caring with me, caring for me along the way, and changing me so that I more and more reflect him and obey his word as he empowers me. Two very different approaches to the Christian life. That's what the good shepherd, that's the kind of shepherd he is. What's the shepherd's nature? It's to speak to the sheep and to lead them in relationship with him. What are the other shepherds doing? They're passing out standards that can never be met, that God never introduced, 
out of fear that someone might cross the real lines God did introduce. And so out of protection of the law, the Pharisees add a bunch of other laws so we never get up to the fence and cross over in sin. And when people can't manage that impossible burden of law, then in this case, the guy's cast out. Two very different models of shepherding. Secondly, he talks about the good shepherd's care. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now he's kind of changing the metaphor. He was the shepherd, now he's a door. And he says it again in a minute, I'm the door. So remember we have the sheepfold and we have this passageway with a gatekeeper is what he called a hired gatekeeper. But now he's saying, I am that passageway. So there's the sheepfold and I am the entry into the sheepfold. That's what the door means. A door is a passage of entry. So the entry into the sheepfold is through me. There came people before me. He says they were thieves and robbers. And the sheep didn't listen to them. So the real people of God didn't listen to them. Who's he talking about? Well, he may be talking about false messiahs. In in Israel's history, there were people that claimed to be the Messiah prior to Jesus, who really was. But there are plenty of false messiahs. So it could have been false messiahs, or it could be the people he's talking about right here, the Pharisees and other religious leaders who didn't really care for the people, but cared more for themselves. So it could be that group of people. But whatever he's saying, that there were people before him that really, uh, really weren't true. The only access to, to, be a, to being a sheep in the pen is through him. Look what he says in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he's saying, I'm the passageway and I save the sheep. He saves the sheep. Sheep could be subject to all kinds of danger, all kinds of threats. Sheep are defenseless. You know, sheep aren't out attacking other animals. Sheep aren't out devouring. You know, sheep are being devoured. So he's saying, I save the sheep. I protect the sheep. They're vulnerable and in danger, but he saves them. And once he saves them, they go in and out and find pasture. That's a wonderful picture of safety and nourishment being fed and being in pasture. So what's he saying that I am the access? Well, this is a very similar statement. In a few chapters, in chapter 14, Jesus is going to say this, and it's the same thing. When he says, I'm the door here, it's the exact same thing he says in 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So later he says, there's only one way to God the Father. There's only one passage, and that's through me, Jesus Christ. That's the same thing he's saying here. There's only one way to being a sheep, to being my sheep, to being in my sheepfold. There's only one way in there, and that's through me. It's not through your works. It's not through other teachers. It's not through religious duty. It's through Jesus. I am the way to God is ultimately what he says. Now, there are other people who try to own the sheep, think they own the sheep. They're the thieves, the robbers that he read about before. But he says they come, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly, that they may have abundant, full life. So he certainly promises eternal life, but he also promises a full life now as well. 
You know, in various places in the Bible when I study, you know, I sort of lose a verse by context, and this week I lost a verse by context. By that I mean I thought I understood a verse, and I quoted a verse and used it in a way, and when I really looked later at the context, I thought, ah, that's not really what it meant. And so this week I kind of lost a verse because this has always been a good shout at the devil verse. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, uh, but I come that may have life and have it abundantly. So that was just a really good verse to say with some volume and to kind of yell at the devil that, that he steals and kills and destroys, but Jesus gives life. This really isn't a verse about the devil, though. Uh, the whole passage is about thieves and robbers talking about bad shepherds, not talking about Satan. And so uh, while that has propped up many a spiritual warfare meeting and prayer time, I don't think that's what's really being communicated here. Now, so that the verse in that context isn't totally lost, anybody who would come in and try to harm the sheep, anybody who would come in and try to harm the people of God is inspired by Satan. The, the idea of that is certainly the devil, though that's not the primary character in view here. It is a different kind of person that tries to own the sheep, care for the sheep, take the sheep, and ultimately harm the sheep. Now, he says that Jesus is the way he will lead us in and out, he will lead us to pasture, and he will lead us to an abundant life, a full life. Jesus has come that we might have an abundant life. Sometimes that verse is used by certain teachers to communicate that the abundant life equals the American dream, that the abundant life equals a Frisco lifestyle, that the abundant life equals wealth and health and constant uh, happiness and things going well. And if they're not going well, we can shout at the devil with that thief verse and make everything go well. So that is a teaching that is out there that prosperity and the American dream is yours because Jesus came to give us abundant life. And so sometimes people like me can shy away from highlighting those kinds of verses for not wanting to be misunderstood. While that verse is not talking about the American dream, that verse should be received and believed and celebrated and confessed and embraced as the word of God at face value. Jesus comes so that you and I will have an abundant, full life. That's what he said. And I don't want to build fences and and everything so that we, we sort of miss what's being said there. I mean, he has come to give us an abundant, full life, a meaningful life, a life characterized by joy in knowing him, a life characterized by peace because we are in connection with the good shepherd who is taking care of us, who is watching over us, who is protecting us, who is leading us by his voice. Now, it does not say we will not have suffering and difficult circumstances. Most of Jesus' original followers who are with him and who believe this have an abundant life, and a lot of them get decapitated and martyred. So it's possible to have an abundant life and suffer. It's possible to have an abundant life and be martyred. It's possible to have an abundant life and have cancer. It's possible to have an abundant life and lose our job. Because the abundance of life is not tied to our circumstances. The abundance of life is tied toward being connected to the shepherd who forgives our sins, who gives us a clear conscience, who puts his spirit within us. Listen, if the spirit of God lives in us, it should make a difference in our lives Today, Jesus comes to give eternal life. There is a day where there will be no suffering, no sorrow, no crying. But that day is not today. In the meantime, God is with us, giving us an abundant life in and through whatever circumstances we walk. 
So there can be an expectation in our lives that we can have a full life, that God can be with us, speaking to us, leading us, near us by His Spirit. God lives in you. That has to count for something. That can't be just merely a statement that's, that's, in our, that's in our statement of faith. That isn't our statement of faith as a church. It should be. It's in the Bible. But it's not just a line on a statement of faith. It's reality. The Spirit of God indwells you. And that should make a difference. That there is a, that there is a joy that He is producing fruit, that He is conforming us to His image, that there is a peace amidst the storms. That's what God has for us. That's what Paul says when he says, I know what it's like to be content in any situation, whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing. That doesn't matter. I'm content. Why? Because he's following the shepherd, and the shepherd is there with him as a sheep. That's what makes the difference. It's not if I have stuff and things, then I'm happy. It's if I have stuff and things, I'm happy in the shepherd who's given me that, but he's my happiness, not that stuff. And if I lose stuff and things and health... If I lose those things, a relationship, whatever it is, if I lose those things, I still am connected to the shepherd. And there may be a grieving and a loss when circumstances are difficult, but there is to be an abundance in our life. I think the picture here is that Jesus wants to lead us into pasture. That's what he says. To give us an abundant life, that's what he says. So that his goal for us is that we are out there feeding as big, fat sheep. And there may be storms, and there may be lightning, and there may be a lot of bad stuff all around, but we're feeding on the Word of God. We are being fed by the shepherd and led and cared for. So there is a health in our soul, even if our circumstances are terrible. That's why we sing, It is well with my soul. That's fat sheep language. That's what that means, is that I'm being fed, I'm being tended, I'm being cared for. My whole life is crumbling, crumbling circumstantially, but it's well with my soul. Because the shepherd is caring for me and leading me. That's God's plan for your life. And that's way more than what is promised by the prosperity doctrine. The prosperity doctrine promises you a better car and and better health and a better circumstance and a better job if you'll only have enough faith for it. This abundant life promises you Jesus no matter what's happening in your life and his care and his love. That's what he is like, and that's how he cares for the sheep. He is not laying on these legalistic burdens like the Pharisees, endless rules devoid of compassion. He had compassion on the blind man and cared for him, and he is caring for his sheep. So what Jesus offers us is a relationship with the shepherd, not a set of rules to get us to God. You know, that's a danger on one side, that we would not hear God's voice, that we would not hear the voice of Jesus, because we have we think of the Christian life as a bunch of rules. That's the Pharisees. There's, there's another way we could do this too, and people do this as well. They wander. We wander away. We think, I'm free. I have a freedom. I'm out to pasture. I have freedom. So we walk and we begin to take advantage of our freedom and we pursue a sinful lifestyle, thinking that freedom means I'm out in an open pasture, I can go do whatever I want without listening to the voice of the shepherd who speaks to us in Scripture. 
What happens then is that that is not a recipe for freedom. If you get away from Jesus and his leading in your life, and he will lead us through the scripture, if you get away from his leading, that's not freedom, that's death. A sheep that goes out on its own will not feed itself, will not protect itself, the wolves will eat it, it will starve, it will give up, it will die. And so some of us have a tendency to have a lot of rules and regulations and think of the Christian life as a bunch of practices that often we have created or someone else has modeled for us that aren't really in the Scripture. And that silences the voice of the shepherd because we're not listening to his word, we're listening to legalism. But there's another danger that we get so far away from the shepherd that the voices of the culture, the voices of the world, the voices of those who are not thinking biblically, their voices are so loud in our ear that we can't even hear the voice of the shepherd calling us anymore. If that's you today, the shepherd's calling you back. The shepherd's calling you to turn from legalism. If that's your case, and the shepherd's calling you to turn from the false liberty that is licensed to sin, and he's calling you away from that so that you can hear his voice and so that you can follow him because he loves you and he cares for you. So that's the shepherd's nature, the shepherd's care. Here's the last thing, and we're done. The shepherd's sacrifice. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Do you see he's continuing to compare good shepherding and bad shepherding? Now he's not talking about bad shepherds or robbers. That's what he has talked about. Now he's talking about a hired hand. And he's saying this, if you're a shepherd and you own the sheep and you lead them out of pasture, they're following your voice, you lead them out to the pasture to eat and a wolf comes up, these are your sheep. You love them. It's also your livelihood. Um, but this, they matter to you. And so if a wolf comes, you'll insert yourself and seek to protect the sheep from the wolf. A hired hand doesn't do that. said, man, I'm clocking out at 5. I'm getting paid on the hour. There's no overtime here. At 5, I'm done. Oh, there's a wolf. I, I don't want to get in the middle of that. I don't want to insert myself. They're not my sheep. That wolf is scary. I'm running, and I'm out of here. So the hired hand doesn't really care for the sheep. The hired hand really cares for himself. The hired hand is really... Preserving himself, not preserving the sheep and loving and caring for the sheep. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I insert myself to care for the sheep. Well, here's what's interesting now, because by saying he lays his life down, if we look elsewhere in Scripture, we can see another metaphor. Not only shepherd, not only gateway or door, but he's also a sheep himself. Because the Bible says that Jesus is a sacrificial lamb. That's what John the Baptist said in chapter 1 of John. He says this, Behold the Lamb of God, speaking of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's saying, see that man? That's Jesus. He's a lamb to take away the sins of the world. So the shepherd God, the shepherd who is God, Jesus, becomes a man. That is, he becomes a sheep. And he gives his life for the other sheep. What do you mean by that? Jesus is fully God and fully man. He becomes a man. He lives a perfect life obeying the Father. He follows the Father perfectly, absolutely perfectly. He never sins, and yet he is condemned and he is treated like a sinner. He is crucified. He is tortured brutally. He is mocked. 
He is, uh, he is made fun of. He's nailed to a cross, and when he's on the cross, the Bible says that our, our sin, and there's a mystery in how this works, but our sin is credited to him. Our sin is put upon him. See, what happens to him is what should happen to us. He's judged for our sin. He's a substitute. God the Father pours out his judgment, his wrath upon God the Son. The Son absorbs the judgment, absorbs the wrath, he pays the penalty, for us in our place. The Bible says he who knew no sin, meaning Jesus, came to be sin. God puts our sins upon him that we might become the righteousness of Christ so that we could be declared righteous. So what happens is he lives a perfect life as a sheep. We're all sheep. So he's God, he's man. He lives a perfect life and then he dies in our place. So if we turn from our sin and believe in him, we receive this wonderful gift called salvation where our sins are counted to him and he dies for us. His perfect righteousness is counted to us, so God the Father receives us as righteous people. He receives us as fulfilling his law because Jesus did it for us. And he receives our sins as paid for because Jesus paid for them for us. He lays down his life, and he does this out of love. Here's an important thing to understand about Jesus the shepherd. He does this voluntarily. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. He lays down his life for us and he takes it up again. That is, he's resurrected on the third day to defeat the power of sin. So this whole passage is really about Jesus, who's not like the Pharisees. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep by giving his life for them. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep by giving his very life for us. Well, the Jews remain divided on this. Verse 19, there was a division among the Jews. Many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, still, they're still interacting over what happened in chapter 9. Here's a question I want to ask you today. Are you receiving the good shepherd's care? Are you receiving the good shepherd's care? If you're not a Christian, then you're not. You're, you're not following him. You're not receiving his care. You're opposed to him, actually. All of us are by nature. The way you start to receive his care is by receiving his sacrifice. You must believe that he laid down his life for you, that you are a sinner separated from a holy God, and that Jesus came to make a way to draw you back to God the Father by giving his life. And for those of us who have received Christ, I mean, you can do that today by turning to him and asking him to forgive you. Those of us who have received that, that this, this picture of the shepherd and the sheep is one that I think the Lord wants, to, wants us to be gripped by. It's, it's a distant metaphor. I understand. It's not where we live. But I think we understand enough of it. God makes it clear enough that we can understand what, what he is saying to us. This is a relational picture of how Jesus cares for us personally. I mean, do you feel that? Not just how he cares for somebody else, not just how he cares for the worship leader or Pete as a pastor, not how much he cares for someone that your spouse, not how much he cares for someone who's really suffering today. 
Not how much he cares for someone that you really respect as the most godly person you know. He cares for you. I mean, do you feel he calls us by name? He walks in here today and he, he would say, I got a message for Grace Church. The scriptures applied to the people of God, but he would also call you out by name and communicate his care to you personally. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Do you live in the good of that? Is that the definition of your Christian life? That, that Jesus cares for me, that he's forgiven my sins, that he relates to me personally, that he is leading me. He's not leading only the whole world. He's not leading only government officials. He's not only leading nations. He's not only leading churches. He's not only leading the people who are all a lot better than me. He's leading and caring for and tending and watching over and feeding me. He's concerned about my well being. There are times when I think we can be too individualistic about our approach to God and not have a view of the corporate nature of the people of God. But this passage, I believe, in part, is concerned with the other. That we not get lost in it all and, and, and fail to understand that the Good Shepherd cares for us. His voice, His leading, as individuals, calls us by name. He guides us safely. He pastures us. He, he feeds and protects and loves and cares for us. He's done that for us. The fact we're sitting here today is a loud statement about a faithful shepherd. If we could see what our hearts really like, were like by nature, we'd be blown away that any of us are listening to this and caring. If there's any love for God in your heart today, that's because the shepherd has saved you And because the shepherd has been faithful to bring you to this place and to guide you and to love you. It's a statement of his care for us. He relates personally. He's given his life so that you could hear his voice, you could know his care, and you could receive an abundant life full of his presence, his person, his truth. He wants to relate with you personally as a good shepherd. I read a story about a guy this week. And uh, this guy was a Christian, uh, but his life really got out of whack, and he began to sin seriously. I don't know what the sins were. The story didn't tell, but they were really bad. And he sinned grievously, and his sin affected his relationship with his family. It made him distant from his family, and his sin made him distant from his church. So he lost his relationship with his family. He lost his relationship with his church because he rebelled against God. Well, the good news is that he turned back to God. He turned back to God humbly. He recognized his sin. He was received back by his family. He was received back by his church. It was a story of restoration. The problem is, or not the problem, the good, actually this is good, he walked with a limp after that. That After that, he was so aware of his propensity because he knew how far he could stray from the shepherd. He, he could stray so far from the shepherd that he lived with an awareness that he needed to keep his eyes on the good shepherd. He needed to be aware of the good shepherd and that he needed to entrust himself to the shepherd's care because left to himself, he could wander. He had wandered. He had done great damage to others and ultimately offended God. So he was at a meeting shortly after he had come back to the Lord. He's at a meeting, and it's a Christian men's meeting, and guys are introducing themselves. And like one guy said something like this, my name is Joe, I'm an accountant, but ultimately I'm a Christ follower, which is kind of a uh, a more common way, I'm not opposed to that term at all, but it's kind of a more common way of calling oneself a Christian in some circles. So I'm a Christ follower. So the next guy kind of picked up on that. You know, I'm Bill, 
Um, I work with computers for a living, and uh, I'm also a Christ follower. And when it came around to him, those words, certainly he knew the Lord, followed the Lord, but those words were not ultimately the first way that he defined his life. And so when it came around to him, he, he said, Hi, my name is Steve. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So aware of his tendency to stray that he defined himself as a sheep that is cared for by the shepherd in the first place and not a follower of the shepherd in the first place. Now, you can do that and mess with language and be legalistic and self-righteous and snooty. That, That wasn't his heart. His heart was to say, I must first keep my eyes on the shepherd because my following is a result of who he is and what he's done. That's what Jesus wants us to learn out of this passage. He wants us to be so fixated on him, the good shepherd, who tends and cares and is trustworthy and loves and has sacrificed and has provided and has given his life and has been faithful and is speaking and is calling and is guiding and feeding and protecting, who is watching over us, who wants to give us an abundant life, that we're so enamored with the, with the shepherd that we say, I'm his. I define myself as his. And it is my great joy based on who he is and what he has done as a shepherd to be the sheep that follows. Is it okay to say I follow Jesus? Absolutely. But our trust is not in our following. Our trust is in his leading and guiding and protection. Our trust is in the shepherd and not ourselves as the sheep. Our trust is not primarily in the other sheep, though we're grateful for them. Our trust is in the shepherd. So we look to him. We see how glorious he is. We see how caring he is. We see his great love. We listen for his voice. And we say, I follow him for he is leading me. And we want to hear his word. We want to silence the voice of legalism that says, I'm okay if other people respect me and think I'm okay. I'm okay if I'm playing by all the like church rules that aren't really in the Bible, but are like the stuff you're supposed to do. That's legalism that the, the Pharisees were guilty of. We want to silence the voice of legalism and listen to the word of God to follow Jesus to follow him personally, to form our practices by his word in following him, connected to him. And we also don't want to stray away from him and stray to the voices that call to us in the culture that oppose him so that we're so far we can't even hear him. Legalism is deafening. Sinful liberty is deafening. True liberty is freedom. And true liberty comes from being connected to the shepherd who leads us by his word and cares for us, leads us into pastures to give us an abundant life. So listen to his voice. Recognize his care. Celebrate his faithfulness to you as a shepherd. Be awed by his sacrifice. He is good. He is your shepherd. And it is our joy to joyfully follow our loving shepherd, Jesus. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.